From Calvary Church of Santa Ana, this is the Calvary Life Podcast, the show where we share stories, laugh together, and have discussions about faith, life, and God with people from Calvary Church. Here's your host, Eric Wakeling. It's just so funny to see you be so, like, formal. Welcome to a very special episode of the Calvary Life Podcast. As it starts with laughter from our guest today, I am excited slash extremely nervous about having her here. <laughs> you should be. Oh boy. We have today B. Wakeling, my wife. How's it going, love? Hi, babe. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> good. <laughs> good, good. All right. So we are here together. And now she is not here just because she's my wife, although we are going to get some kind of funny, weird stuff with because of that. But she's also an incredible high school English teacher at Orange Lutheran High School. Isn't that right? Yes, yes, I am. Uh, and uh, but first, let's just let me let's get some of this kind of weird stuff out of the way. What's it like being married to someone as strange as me? I mean, I haven't been married to anyone else to compare it to, but <laughs> true. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's hard. You're asking me about my favorite person. Oh, um, it's. I think been more, it's been all of the adventure that I thought, like I hoped it would be. Yeah. I think being married to somebody like you who is excited to try new things and always like, you're so passionate about everything you do. I think I told lots of people how you don't ever do anything halfway. The triathlon nonsense (laughs) is a good example of that like you don't do anything just part way you always give everything 150,000 percent of your effort oh I try I I admire that in you um but then you know when you're annoying you're like 150 (laughs) percent there you go there you go I was like wait I I thought this wasn't going to turn into like a love fest I thought you know know, even though I know you do love me and I love you so much I don't want to say anything it's hard to like say anything negative about you when I'm like aware of what I'm saying. Right, right. But what are some of these like maybe idiosyncrasies that I might have that people sort of laugh at? Is there any, you know? Well, I think the thing that a lot of people miss out on is the fact that you communicate in whistles and uh, strange noises when you walk into the house because you're trying to like reserve your voice. So soon, like all of us know how to communicate in this different way than we used to (laughs) because of it. And it always like it doesn't strike me as strange till after we respond and then i think it's really weird that all of us respond to you you're like My, psst, yeah. Or, yeah 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 psst, psst. i know it's okay this is brutal everybody just because people know that i'm struggling with chronic laryngitis and i'm trying to speak even right now it's feeling a little low and i'm speaking a little out of my vocal cords at the end of the day but yeah when i get home sometimes if somebody's across the house i can't yell to them anymore shout out like hey you know like b come in here oh my goodness i need you you know but it's like and which is completely obnoxious it is but it's just a funny thing that like all of us yes uh, <laughs> respond to i don't know um i don't know you're right. like a weird guy and you're a funny guy i think it's really weird that your love language is teasing but i also think that it's like created this fostered this super playful 
at- atmosphere in our house. Yeah, that is a bit of a weird thing. People don't like I totally understand that. It's true. My love language is teasing, making f- like getting made fun of. I usually kind of I enjoy that when people are a little overly nice. Even right then, even at the beginning of this, it you're being you nice, and I'm like, "What are you doing? Stop that! Let's mess around." Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know how to get serious, and I can cry. Um, but yes, I think you're probably the more like you show your emotions more than I show my emotions. But I think like, not because I'm not a feeling person, but I just think like you cry. I think I try to like hold it in more. Yeah, I know. I understand that. All right. But this is not about me. This is about you. So let's get into my least favorite subject. You, <laughs> oh, it's amazing. Let's get into you a little bit. We always ask everybody, what's your Calvary origin story? So that is a little bit us because we came here together. But what was can it, from your point of view, what was your Calvary origin story? How you got here? Um, well, I guess like growing up, I went to a church that was really, really tiny. And I was pretty determined to not marry someone in the ministry world because my pastor's wife growing up in our little teeny tiny church had to do everything. She did baked and played piano and organ and sang and I don't know, she did all the things and right. it just seemed like she, that poor woman was so exhausted all the time. And you and even, so, you even had like a, yeah, when I was in junior high, they, um, our theology teacher had us write a list of things that you want in your future spouse. And on my list, it was like, number one, he loves Jesus. Number two, he uh, can make me laugh. And then like somewhere on that top five was that he's not a pastor because I was determined not to marry anyone who <sighs> was in the ministry world. And then even when I was dating you, you which wait, were, by the way, I was a pastor. Yeah. You were a youth pastor when we were dating. Yes. Thank and, you. and, but that's where <laughs> I was going to like, what I was going to okay. say is that I remember one of my mom's friends saying like, are you ready to be a pastor's wife? And I was like, he's not gonna be a pastor forever. <laughs> like I really was that like delusional or naive. I don't know which one or just smitten something blind i don't know mm, smitten i like that <laughs> and i just thought like it wouldn't be a forever thing but i have no idea what like also my 19 year old had thought the other like what else you would do right um we got married in, in 97 mm-hmm. and we didn't come here till 2001 so right we, so we, we were in the junior high ministry world for a while together yeah. we did everything together at that point because we didn't have kids yet and um we went to we were in a Bible study with some friends and we ended up um, they told us, you know, hey, there's a opening at our, our church for a junior high pastor. And it just happened at that time that we were just really not sure if God was wanting us to stay at our old church for forever. And so Eric decided or you, it's weird, <laughs> <laughs> um, decided to apply. I remember meeting with like Je- um, Jeff Biddle and then like sitting at Denny's with us, remember, and yeah. talking to us about like the culture of Calvary and. It was interesting transition for me. I think I had been, we'd been at, at um, Ocean Hills for a while at that point. And so that had really been my first like church home since my childhood church. And so I was super invested. And then coming in, it's just, you, there's so many unknowns. You have no idea what it's going to be like. It definitely was made easier, better for me because my best friend, Erin Shank Krushevich, was already at Calvary. This is where she had grown up. Um, Bob and Sherry had been like second parents to me starting in college. And so it just felt like there was that part of it that was really welcoming. And then there was parts that were really hard 
being um in the you know in the junior high ministry here and getting to know all this new set of adults and them mm-hmm. trying to like you know just figuring out new the volunteers that they yeah. really love the old leader too yes and like yeah, and so it just was hard and then we had kids like not that long after that and i think once grace came i just like couldn't maintain that like stay out all the time go on every trip life right. and so i think that create a different separation but then i had to like figure out my way i volunteered in the nursery i've done i don't know at different stages different things i worked with junior high ministry for a long time still i worked with high school ministry i've just kind of gone yeah, all over led a life group for a while yeah stuff like that. yeah so. yeah okay so that's how you came we came to calvary together which was so great um and but yeah but hard i think it took even i think it took us at least a year kind of feel a little just sort of comfortable mm-hmm. but then in probably a few years for us to feel like really at home. Yeah, right? that's what I was going to say. I think that there there was a line where I even feel like it was like a little bit after Ella. So that's like five years or so of us being here where it really felt like settled and this was our home. And even I think we talked about this before when we went through the whole process of you becoming senior pastor. There was this huge part of my heart that realized just how much I love this this place, this community, these people, and like seeing you stand up there saying like, this, this is like, my heart is here. I didn't ever feel like separated from that. I felt very like that, that speaks for me too. I, I hmm. felt like that was my heart. It was like, I love this place. I love this church. Yeah. So. That's awesome. I know. That's how, yeah, I agree. And so we've kind of grown into that together, mm-hmm. which is great. And, um, now, okay, let's let's get into, we'll come back to Calvary stuff at the end, but let's get into you and your career. So like we said, you're this, I think you're this incredible high school English teacher. Um, and, uh, you know, but I think as we get towards that, I think it will help just to kind of hear a little bit about how you grew up and just, you know, just a little bit of it and kind of how that shaped, you know, mm-hmm. the de- your decision to become a teacher. So what was that life like? Because you have a pretty unique story. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's messy. I think like everyone's life is so unique to them. And my life journey was pretty messy for the first seven years of my life in particular. Um, My birth parents were, had me very late in life. And then my birth father passed away just before I turned five from um, cancer. And then uh, my birth mom had uh, early onset Alzheimer's disease starting essentially from when I was born. And, um, and so after he passed away, she just was really like became a ghost of a person. So I just had a lot of, and then I had an older brother who, um, you know, at the loss of our father, just, it created a lot of disarray and it was just a very ugly, unhealthy Mm -hmm. home life. And then taking care of yourself too in that time. Right. Yeah, I I really did um, get myself up and have to, like four years old, getting myself up, dressed, going to school. Um, My birth father had been married multiple times, so one of his kids from a previous marriage, she's 20 years older than me, she would come and bring us groceries, and she's the one who taught me how to, like, make TV dinners and feed myself, and I really had to take care of myself. And then once I think she fully realized what was going on and that I really was just by myself all the time, that's when she brought us all under her roof with her husband. She had a little boy at that point. I think she was pregnant with her second one. And um, she, you know, that they adopted us formally when I was nine, but we began living with them around seven. And it just was like the most awful of situations. And then all the things that you would, you would want for your kids, a loving family, um, 
you know, I, I really, my parents that adopted me, I, I just love those human beings. They yeah. have modeled so much about like servants' hearts. I think more than anything is just what I've gotten from them growing yeah. up is seeing how much they have a heart to serve and give whenever someone needs help, you jump in. And that's always how like I grew up. We always had people living with us. We always had someone that we were taking care of 50 people at Thanksgiving dinner because we always take care of people. But I think that that fed into so much of who I became as a teacher. We've had fewer people living in our house, but I think that I'm totally my mom at work where like I just have this, like my, my classroom feels like a home and it feels like very welcoming. I even like, the smell of it matters to me. It, yeah. All of those. Oh, I know you. Details. Yeah, she uses these like Glade plugins, like that, just that make one. the entire room smell like cookie dough or something. Yeah, it's right. It's Bath and Body Works or Jeez. whatever. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of and it's like maple donut or something, but it's seriously the best smell. And everyone walks in like, oh, it smells like you know breakfast in here. It just smells homey to them. And I think that yeah. adds to all of it. And I don't know. So yeah. I wanted to be a teacher when I was seven years old. Okay. Wow. Um. Mrs. Rosenthal, she was my third grade teacher. And um, I think she began this theme in my life that I, I've been thinking about this a lot this last week. Um, the value of making someone feel seen. Hmm. Um, I had been, I'd had, I'd moved schools constantly before that. I had been all over the place. I wasn't in a home at that, up till that point. I had not been in a home where people say, I love you and hug you and pick you up when you have, you know, when you hurt your knee or whatever, right? Like I had missed all of that. And she saw me and um, I just wanted to be like her when I grew up. And she loved, she would bring in foods for us to try. She would bring in all these things from her travels. And it's like, I've so much of that has come full circle for me of what I do. And then even like that year, I was like, this is what I want to be when I grow up. And then when I was in fourth grade, I had this really terrible teacher, Mrs. Clump, wherever you are. Um, (laughs) Oh boy. She was awful and she was very unkind and she was harsh and she was unforgiving. And she, even her name. I know, I know, lady had no hope. Um, (laughs) She never smiled. Like there was no joy in what she did. And I felt so like such distinct awareness that when I grew up, I'm going to be a teacher and I'm never going to be like her. Like Mm. I was very determined. And then next year I had Mrs. Murphy and she was the one who I, I prayed the prayer of salvation with. And she just completely, she sacrificed so much of her time to invest in me. And I was this kid who I was failing almost every subject. I was struggling. I was drowning. I wasn't really great at making mm. friends. And she saw me. And I think that that has, I can, I can distinctly see all of these people who made me feel seen. And that is a hundred percent my heart for my job is to make people feel seen. The, the other stuff, the English, the writing, it comes they're willing to try when they see that like they as an individual matter Mm -hmm. and so that's that's sort of a big part of my story as a teacher i mean i think that's really good insight for for anybody in their work in their you know whatever it is that you do if you can help people feel seen and feel like they matter then 
like you'll also then have the outcomes of being a better writer in, yes. in your case or but maybe it's or, or whatever it is or if it's you know selling more what you know more things that you're selling right. you know and so yeah I love that I love that it's both just and it's it's being a Jesus follower too right like in the sense well of, that is everything that you think about what Jesus <clears throat> did with his ministry is make people feel seen yeah. all of that time that he spent with his disciples traveling around going around and healing people and all of that every time it was about seeing them right and that that person that that person that nobody else considered worthy of their time Mm -hmm. he saw them he saw their heart he even right like how many times does he heal somebody and he doesn't address the the ailment he addresses their heart right Mm -hmm. he made them feel seen i think that is you cannot underestimate the value of that in in this like kingdom work world where our heart is supposed to be a christ follower i can preach jesus all day long but if i'm not if i'm not showing that love that other people that you know that god has called us to show to people then i'm wasting all of that effort because they're 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 missing it yeah Yep, absolutely. So yeah, he saw them. I love when he's like, he saw her, he was filled with compassion. Mm-hmm. And then he acts like mm-hmm. first he sees, first he has compassion, then he does whatever the thing that people need is, mm-hmm. right? That, mm-hmm. that Well, that that's the perceived thing they need. Right. And I think even when we do sort of ministry stuff or even like a missions trip or something, you know, we want to go and then do, but first we have to see and feel and like notice and care, right? All that. That's cool. Um, that's good. Now, okay, hold on. Now, you, you've you talked already about like being a high school English teacher, but you didn't start there. Like what was no. the road to finding high school English like? Because I also think this is could be helpful for people even when you're kind of developing career, you're thinking about your career, mm-hmm. and you don't need to just like do the thing that you start with, right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's so like you I said, I wanted, wanted to be, be a what? teacher my yeah. whole life. I really wanted to be a kindergarten teacher. I went to – well, I went to Biola – to and to major in history because I thought that sounded interesting and then I felt like no that's not that's not right for me so I decided I wanted to be a kindergarten teacher and do the songs and the glue and the I don't know you know all of the things that kindergarten teachers do (laughs) and so I, I set out to do that and I stuck with elementary ed for the rest of the way through and I loved my major I felt like so incredibly prepared for everything that's come since then. And so I moved in from, I graduated from there. I went straight to getting a job and I taught sixth grade, which was fine. I think all of my time in, and and this is where you see how God, like you have no idea what God's doing to prepare you for later with what you're doing now. Right. So working in ministry world with you, with junior hires in particular, which isn't an easy crew. It's a hard time of life. And I was super comfortable with it. And so I got into sixth grade, loved that. And then I wanted to move school. So I was closer to home and I taught fourth grade. And honestly, I was so bad at my job. I hated every second of it, but I was trying, you know, you just feel like you're slamming your head against the wall over and over again, because no matter what I did, I knew I was missing the mark. Like I wasn't, Hmm. I, I connected with the kids because I felt like that's, 
that's part of who God made yeah. me to be. It was right? a rough year with those parents too, though. Oh right? my gosh. Yeah. yeah. And elementary <laughs> parents, like it just is, it, it was a bad fit. And I can remember like standing up at the whiteboard, writing on the board, teaching cursive and thinking, I do not belong here, but I know I'm supposed to be a teacher. And those two things colliding was just so hard and disheartening and confusing. Like, I know this is what God's called me to be. And yet here I am doing the thing and I'm terrible at it. Right. And what does that mean? And that was at the same time that we were, you got hired at Calvary and we decided to look, for, I decided to look for a job up here. Right. Right. Wait, real quick. Let's pause there for a second. Cause I just want to like, I just want to sort of make sure we think about this moment of where you're, you feel like you're not doing good at your job. You feel like you're doing good with the kids, but at the same time, parents weren't super happy, you know, and you were pretty like frazzled at home because of like you were bummed out at home because of the way these parents were treating you. So I just want to make sure because like you are doing so well now in your career that like it's important for like people to see that there's this moment where everything was going wrong and you were in the right um you know, like big circle, but mm-hmm, the smaller mm-hmm. circle within that wasn't right. was wrong. I hadn't found my niche yet. Yeah, you hadn't found was, your niche and yet. And really, it still took years after this for like, yeah. you know, I moved in from that to public school where I yeah. did middle school for a couple years. I really liked it. It definitely felt like way more my jam at that point. Like, okay, this I can do. I feel like equipped to work with these kids. And you work with, I, I got this job in Orange Unified working with all ELD students. Wait, and, what's that ELD? People, um, do people know English that? language development. So okay. non-native speakers is usually like they're... And like you had they, how many languages in that in a classroom? Yeah, I had classrooms with like 13 languages in them. So even anything, any Spanish I knew was useless at that point, but we weren't a lot, right. quote unquote, allowed to teach or speak Spanish. And really you could see at that point, like that would be giving like a disadvantage to them because I wasn't helping them transition, right? Sure. Anyway, so I did that for three years and then I got laid off and I decided like that was grace was two at that point I was like I'm gonna be a stay-at-home mom and that was like as much as fourth grade wasn't the right fit for me like this was like times 100 like I just was really bad at it so stay-at-home moms you like have my respect I just am not good at like organizing or structuring my life without like a bell that rings every you know hour (laughs) (laughs) and um and so then I think after a year I was I remember talking to you about it. I just miss, I miss it. I miss teaching. And you were like, yes, you need to go back. Like this, yeah. you, I can tell this is not the right fit for you either. And so I got the job at Orange Lutheran by 1000% God's um, intervention because I didn't even want the job. I wanted to teach, I wanted to do online classes because I wanted to still sort of be a stay-at-home mom. Mm-hmm. And it just, quote unquote, just so happened that None, nothing worked that day. They were switching over to a new platform and none of their online stuff worked. So I sent it to the vice principal and he called me for an interview and I was like, oh, no, thank you. I want to just teach online. And he called me like three more times saying, I, I really think you should come in for an interview. And so I I, remember I went in and I remember walking into Orange Lutheran for the first time and it's all indoors thinking, wow, this is a fancy school because it was inside. <laughs> yeah. And um. And you have no English degree. Uh, yeah, have I, I, I was a multiple subject, multiple subject credential, credential, no English credential. At no this point. English. Yeah. And I just. But you were teaching in. English and history combos. Yes. at In public Sarah school. Villa Middle school. Yeah. At Cervilla, right. I taught three years of English history combo classes and it was it was great. And I that's honestly like the best, I think, combo that you could possibly do. It was so fun. And um, 
But that's what like that could was, get you in the door. Yes. Having that experience. Totally. Okay. And so they, you know, they interviewed me and the whole time, as soon as I sat down, they said, I know you wanted part time, but we're only interviewing for full time. And my brain just was like, oh, well, never mind. It doesn't matter. <laughs> and it like released me to, I think, be my most authentic self. And that, I think, is what made Susan, the lady who interviewed me, she I think that attracted her because I was just me. I wasn't putting on a show for anything. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, oh my gosh, I was so nervous. The first day teaching, um, I had freshmen and sophomore in my first year, which is hilarious to think about now because I was so terrified. And I think about how terrified freshmen are and I couldn't stop shaking. And I had to stand, I wore a suit, like full suit, black suit thing. And my hair like pulled back in this tight bun so I could show these kids like, (laughs) I'm serious. (laughs) And I had spent like, I got hired like a month before school started. I spent the entire month reading up on like how to, how to do classroom management with high schoolers. Cause I was so afraid. And honestly, every year I still have the same dream in the summer of having no control over my classroom. <laughs> and I was so afraid of that happening. And so I had to stand the whole day with my hands behind my back because I couldn't stop shaking. And so I kept my hands behind my back and they all thought that I was just like this drill sergeant of a human being. And it, it was a rough start for the first couple of days. And then I got like more comfortable and I really, I don't know. I really felt like I had found my spot in working in, in high school. And then a couple of years of doing that, I ended up getting, I got moved around a ton because I, my first year I got my English credential so that I would be credentialed in English. And then I got moved around a ton in the English department because I was willing Yeah. and I got to try everything. I tried freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, the whole way. And then once I hit seniors, it was different and Mm. so how many gosh how many years was that that was like eight years of teaching at that point when i finally found teaching high school no like teaching 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 uh oh maybe it was like 10 years of teaching yeah when i found like this is this is my my spot this is where i belong and my heart for seniors that your senior year is everyone has a delusional memory of what it actually compared to like what it actually is. And the senior year is such a like roller coaster of, you know, we're the king of the world. We're the seniors. And then like, Oh my gosh, I have to apply to schools. Oh my gosh. Will anyone, you know, accept me into a school? Do I need to go to college? Should I go somewhere else? What am I going to do with my life? I'm supposed to be an adult. Like there's just so much. Right. And I hate this place. Oh yeah. They go totally like January is this, like this place is a prison. I hate it here. And then they go, you know, then Three months later, they're constantly, remember this? Remember when we did this? Remember, remember? And they're so nostalgic. And then at the end, they're like, you're my favorite teacher ever. <laughs> it doesn't matter who I like. They probably say that to every one of their teachers at that point because everything is such a like yeah. sweet goodbye, right? And sort of bittersweet, but it's just like, okay, this is the end. I made it. Mm-hmm. I just love it. That's awesome. That's awesome. So that's a big road, though. You think 10 years to find your niche. I mean, mm-hmm. that's... You know, just I think interesting for people to consider that it doesn't you can't think in my first few years of something, I'm going to just exactly know where I'm supposed to be, um, even if I'm in the right sort of realm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. What's what's the best part for you of being a teacher? Why do you do it? Hmm. Um, I mean, this it sounds like a cliche. I do it for the kids, but it is for the kids. Like, I love them. I love I love spending time even just like. I teach the same subject or I teach the same class four times in a row, right? That never is it the same. There's not one second. You bring in a different combination of people and you get this totally different set of responses and reactions and literature is this living 
you know, unique thing that's addressing all these different parts of humanity. And you have no idea which kid is going to connect to a piece because of where they're at in life and which kid is coming to school with so much on their plate that they can barely function, right? Like all of that creates this like dynamic that nothing's the same and you get to connect with each single person. It's a weird job teaching because you're constantly aware of what you're saying right here, content, content, content. And then in your head, you're also thinking about what you're doing next and you're looking at every face in the room. Are they on task? Are they paying attention? Are they getting what I'm saying? Are they falling asleep? Are they, you know, you're just constantly thinking so much. And then Mm -hmm. honestly, there's not one second of my day that there's not a student in my room. The second I get there at 7.30, there's someone there. And what is that? What do you mean by a student in your room? Like, and what are they doing? I don't know. We're, I, I think going back to this whole idea of making someone feel seen, like I somehow create this environment that like, I want to hear your story and who you are and what's happening in your life. And I want to, I guess I say some of those things to them at the beginning of the year, but like, I want to grapple with this with you. I don't want you to feel like you're struggling by yourself. And it's so easy to feel lonely in a crowded room. And I don't want any of my students to feel that. And knowing that my room is a safe space, like random kids, sometimes it's kids that are not even my student, but it's just, they saw the room open. And so they came and sat in there and I try to, I always try to reach out and connect because I just think, I don't know, what if that, I don't know what they're carrying. And I would hate for someone to leave and not feel seen. Yeah. Yeah. And you tend to have kids just talk to you about big life stuff, right? Yeah, I do get a lot of the... They, they feel safe to be brutally honest with me. And it's it's uh, it's overwhelming sometimes because you have to, you know, filter is this... You know, I, every kid knows, like, if you tell me something where I think that I'm, like, concerned about you, the first thing I need to do is go to your counselors, right? So there's all that, like, elements and the reality of, like, my job as a mandated reporter. Blah, right, blah. right. And there have been moments where I've had to be a mandated reporter, and that's super intense and, like, an emotional, just, it is. it's really it's rough. It's the worst, actually. Yeah. 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 And then there's things where it's just, like... My parents told me this morning they're getting a divorce. Yeah. You know, and you're just like, that kid trying to process that? They're 16. It's at this point in life, that age under when you're still living at home, like life is happening to you for so much of it. And then there's a whole lot of choices that my students make that I'm just like, what are you doing? Yeah. Right. And I get to talk through that with them. And somehow God is giving me this bravery to just say that to them. Like, what are you doing with your life right now? Are you, when are you going to stop making this choice when are you going to stop this unhealthy habit yeah and just not i don't know like what happened what's the worst that happens they're mad at me and they don't talk to me for a couple weeks and they have to sit in my classroom anyways yeah and then they get past it and they get to i get to say like but i still love you i'm still walking through this with you sure i think that you're being an idiot right now and you're making bad choices or nothing that you're doing is healthy or you're in an unhealthy relationship, whatever. Right. I get to say that, but also I get to, I, they're trapped. They can't not come to my class. So I get to show them. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. But part of being a grown up is that we still walk through that together and I still love you even when I think it's not okay what you're doing. Yep. Now I know any teacher can do this, like what you're talking about to be there for kids. Do you think like, are there ways though that teaching English is kind of helpful? The stuff you're oh. reading kind of lends itself to 
maybe different kind of conversations. Totally. Because I don't know, like, what do you talk about in math? (laughs) (laughs) Our family is definitely a family of humanities people. So we, um, you know, are a little more aligned to that world. So sorry to all you math people out there. But but like there is that element where in... um, my friend Joey and I, we talk about this sometimes. It's, it just does lend itself to that, though. Like, I'm teaching, you know, for, we taught Till We Have Faces by C.S. Lewis, which if you haven't read it, you need to go get it right now. It's like my <laughs> favorite book. Um, but I got to teach this book to my students for the longest time. We would go through this whole process of talking about your faith and doubt and how real that is. And what do you do when you have doubts in your walk? And I get to, like the literature just hands it over on a silver platter. Right. And in World Lit, which is what I teach with seniors, every almost every novel we teach, the, the protagonist is a young adult trying to figure out life, which <laughs> really is most of literature. We've just, you know, hand-selected a few of these amazing pieces where life is real hard and you still have to face it. Yeah. And going through all of that with my students, like we get to talk about that, getting to see how as much as... And, I love literature, but I don't love Shakespeare. It's hard. It's hard to get through. And to see how my students connect with Hamlet is just wild to me. Huh. It's interesting. So. Well, how do you think then that how, how, how can teachers think about being more than people who impart information? Like, what does it mean for you to be a teacher? Like how, maybe how, if there's teachers listening or people that just, even people like in a church that just teach stuff or teaching classes or teaching a life group, a Bible study, whatever, right? Me as I teach. <laughs> Well, I guess there's a part of it that's, and, and I'm sure that this is a huge part of your job too, is like, I don't want them to leave and think, what was the point of that? Right? So I think I approach everything with that mindset of what what are we going to dig out of here and how are we going to create opportunities to stop and reflect? Mm-hmm. Right? And I think any teacher, regardless of what you're teaching, any teacher that is a good teacher does that how, how does this actually connect? You know, it's sure, you know, math might not include the emotional side of things, but there is this part of like things should make sense. And if they don't, you need to stop and pull out the pieces and figure things out. And I just think going about it from that direction of what, why does, why should this matter? And that every kid, I know I feel like a broken record with some a little bit, but every kid is coming in with their own like burdens and load as much as you are as a human being. And shouldn't that be part of our journey together is that I see you in your hurt. I see you in your struggle being brave. I think even just to walk up to that kid and say, are you, are you doing okay today? You seem, you seem off. And sometimes they, you know, shrug it off. Yeah, I'm fine. And Mm. that's the end. Sometimes they come back a few days later and say, you know, I really wasn't okay. Here's what's happening. Or they cry right then. Yeah. You know, and being willing to ask that, that's like a, that's a total life thing. Being willing to ask that question. Like, are you, are you doing okay right now? You know, just instead of just saying like, oh, I shouldn't intrude. Right. Like, yeah. You don't want to ask. And I just think, and it's hard because you know, there's also the part of life that's like, oh, I got to go to this thing and I got to be here and I got to right. blah, blah, blah. The right? bell just rang. Are we really going to have this conversation right now? Yeah. Right? Yeah. But there is that. And I do try to like choose my moments, but I also try not to forget. Like if I know I can't talk to a kid, send them an email or pull them aside on another day when it does work. I just don't hmm. want to like forget that details matter. Yep. And the details matter, whether you teach history, science, English, whatever. Details matter. 
and and being a a person and being a Christ follower, right? Like all of that matters in paying attention to the needs of the people hmm. more than content first, right? Yep. Content yep. sure matters, but how much more effective am I as a teacher if they see that it matters and it's not just me trying really hard to convince them? Yep. All right, you've taught in both public school and in Christian schools. Mm-hmm. Um, just a little bit, you know, what kind of some of that difference for you and maybe how can a follower of Jesus influence young people in each of those realms? Yeah, um, so the rules of public school are actually this, as far as I know, it hasn't changed. You cannot um, proselytize right. in the public school. However, you can answer questions. And so if a student asks a question, which God just like hands it over to me, right? Like, oh, what does your pa- your husband do? Oh, well, he's a pastor. Oh, what right. does that mean? Is he <laughs> a priest? Oh, no. You know, and I get to like have that conversation with them and talk to them about it. Or sometimes you just make like one comment without realizing it and you're not even, right. you know, but I just think that in the public school world, showing the kid, like the individuals, it's quite honestly very draining because, you know, private school kids have their struggles and they are different than a lot of the public ki- public school kid troubles. Mm-hmm. And when I worked in, you know, at Sarah Villa in Villa Park, I worked with every, st- all of, every single one of my students came from the other side of the freeway in these like little tiny apartment complexes most of them were raising themselves and there was a lot for me to connect to them on that even of just like I understand what it feels like to have to be on your own and to like you know that your parents don't have the ability to worry about what you're doing with your life but it does matter right Mm -hmm. and getting to invest in that way and I just think regardless of your job regardless of where you are making people feel like they matter changes everything that's cool that's cool just yeah it's the same it's the same thing whatever environment you're in yeah it's great um what about uh the environment of being a pastor's wife here at calvary Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's a whole funny thing right it is a funny thing because the world is changing and the term pastor's wife means different things to mr different people yeah but most people, especially at Calvary where it's a bigger church, like most people don't assume that because I'm your wife, I'm going to be playing the piano on stage, right? Like nobody, <laughs> most people don't make that assumption about me. Right. But then what does it mean, right? Like, so then what, what, what is your role? And my role isn't anything is to, you know, I'm, I'm your wife. Well, and you're a member of Calvary Church, right? Yeah, yeah. And that, I think, I forget, I, I kind of want to say it was Joy Mitchell that said this to me, but I could be just wrong um that when we had kids someone and i think it was joy one like they used to do these like pastor's wife's um like dessert kind of things where we could just like hang out together and feel seen um and i just remember them talking about how her and talking about how important it was to her that this that church was their kids church yep right and that great you know our kids grace and Ellen weren't coming here with this like i have to be on that this is their place and their church home and that had to start with me making sure that this is my church home and that my like obligation wasn't to anything about a job here and so much of that is you and your support and how like anyone who's a teacher their spouse support is like 
90% of their success because I couldn't be who I am as a teacher if I didn't have you in all of that. And for those of you who don't, you know, don't know our lives, that is the first few years of our kids' lives. Eric had to get up every morning. I would get the girls up and out of bed, but he had to like do little girl hair and put on little girl outfits and get little girls dressed and ready for school and feed them breakfast, make them lunch because I had to be out the door by six 30 in the morning and it wasn't fair to wake them up at five 30. Right. And so I got to see them for like 15 minutes in the morning and he had to do all of that and get them to school on time. And I think that completely changed the perspective of what being a dad was because the girls had such a, in, like major part of their relationship was the time they got to have with you. And I don't know. I just think I couldn't have, if I didn't have your support in that, I don't know how we would have made it through right. that. Right. If I had to just carry all of that on my own. And then, so then I think about that in so, the same respect, but it was so awesome. Like just first, like, and then you pick them up at three and mm-hmm. this like have the whole afternoon, but then I get home at five or whatever, five thirty, And just, then we'd have our evenings together. It was like really yeah. great. It was really great. But you were saying that's the perspective then you'd have what, like here, just being able to, I don't know, create every opportunity where I get to support you and yeah. supporting you doesn't mean doing jobs here. It means like doing the things that you are needing. And I think pastor's wife, if you're going to call it anything, is just, you know, I'm your, I get to be your support system in so many ways. And I don't know. I think that's like such a more important part of of my role in anything I get to I'm part of any ministry that I would like to be part of like I said I did nursery I've done junior high high school I've gone all over you know I've done lots of different things different bible studies because that's this is my home church first but before that I'm your wife I'm a mom then I'm a teacher friend yeah exactly yeah that's awesome that's a good way that's a good way of looking at it I do think that we have a sort of different way for sure than some. I know there's some mm-hmm. churches where it's kind of like the pastor's wife is called the first lady oh of the gosh. church. Oh my gosh, I would I, I can't. I yeah. mean, I'm supportive if that's like the role that you would like, <laughs> go for it. But I could not. I don't think Yep. even just doing this, like I I'm not this kind of person. Like I'm I'm very behind the scenes. And I think even like our first years of ministry sort of fostered that. Like you didn't have you had such a small staff at that point and you needed a ready volunteer to do anything. And I just did anything, but I wasn't doing anything that was flashy. And so I just got so comfortable behind the scenes, helping, looking for holes and things. And then now like you have all of your people who do stuff. I just am here like behind the scenes for you. Yeah. Well, I think you're pretty amazing. So, well, how, how was this experience so far doing the podcast? It was aside from the grating sound of my voice. Oh, it was please. fine. I don't know. It's just weird listening to your own voice. I think. Um, <laughs> it's fine. I don't know. I think, I think once I great. get once I get started talking, I'm yeah more comfortable. Well, I think you're amazing, and I'm glad that the people of Calvary Church get a little bit of a glimpse into your life and your expertise because you're an amazing teacher. You're an amazing influencer of young Thank people. You. And I just love being able to watch you thrive in, you know, the place that God has placed you very, very specifically and uniquely at Orange Lutheran Mm -hmm. and love seeing all these kids that like come back or reach out to you years, Mm -hmm. years later. And I think it's just incredible. I don't really ever talk to any of my teachers. So, you know, know, it is a wild, it is such a, like, what a gift that God gives in that, that. I do get to talk to students years later and, and even now my student teacher is a student I had my, 
I think second year at Olu, third year at Olu, and just getting to work with her because it came full circle and I got to hmm. invest and now she gets to invest. And it's just, I don't know, it does your heart good to see how all of that comes around. Oh, that's awesome. Well, you're a great follower of Jesus, a great wife, mom, and teacher. So we love you so much. Thanks for being on the podcast. <laughs> Thanks again for joining us on the Calvary Life Podcast. If you enjoyed our show this week, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. If you want to learn more about Calvary Church or share any of your thoughts, check us out on our website at calvarylife.org or find us on one of our social media accounts. We're on Instagram at calvary underscore church, Facebook at Calvary Church of Santa Ana, and Twitter at Calvary Life. <laughs>